Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today's guest is Maria Lupita Gurule. She is a certified medical support, clinical hypnotherapist, and a world-class psychic medium. Maria has had multiple near-death experiences where she saw Divine Mother and was shown secrets of the universe. Maria Lupita, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you giving me some of your time and welcome. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me here. It's an amazing opportunity and I'm, I'm glad to be here to be able to share the story. Oh, that's great. All right. Well, my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. So can we hear about your most prominent one? And if you feel up to it, could you please share some extra material that you've perhaps never shared with anybody before? Absolutely. You know, in fact, I feel that it really is time to um, to use this opportunity to share things that I have never shared before. So a lot of uh, things that I will be saying today, I, I've never mentioned before. So this is a really exciting opportunity. Um, so my my near-death experience, what I call my full-on near-death experience, because what I've discovered is that there's different... Um, layers, if you will, of an out-of-body versus a near-death versus other things. So a near-death experience. It happened on June 5th, 2000. Uh, this was on the day that my daughter was to be born. Um, and she was born. So I had two children now. I had a son prior to her. Very, very difficult pregnancies. Um, they even didn't want me to uh, to hold this pregnancy, actually. And I made the decision to go forward with it and 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 have her knowing the complications that I was going into. I had a condition with my son in the first um, pregnancy called uh, toxemia. It went into a condition called HELP, which was really my entire system shutting down as well as his. Um, both my children are premature. My son is uh, 10 weeks premature and my daughter is three and a half weeks premature. And um, because of the complications, I actually had a stress test on Friday and uh, she was in distress. And so they gave me the weekend, put me on bed rest and uh, scheduled to have her delivery on Monday. So this was Monday, June 5th, 2000. Uh, I went into the, um, into the yeah, delivery room and didn't really expect anything extraordinary. Um, it, she was born at 1242 in the afternoon and I was given an epidural because they had to um, um, basically start the, the, the contractions. Uh, they're hard. It's a hard and heavy labor. It's very fast. And so in order to help alleviate the, the discomfort and the pain, I was given an epidural. So there's a difference with an epidural and a spinal block. So there, I, there's a catheter that was inserted into my spine and there was uh, some anesthesia that is put in the epidermis area, which is before you get into the cerebrospinal liquid, the fluid of the cerebral spine. So that just helps to calm the pain during the, um, during the childbirth. So I had her with no complications. Uh, present in the room was my mom, uh, Bernadette, and my uh, now ex-husband, Anthony. And uh, they chose to keep the catheter in my back knowing that I was going to be having a tubal ligation again, because I knew that my pregnancies were so difficult, literally life and death, not only for myself, but for, for the unborn child. Um, it was scheduled that I would also have a tubal ligation because I couldn't, my body could not um, handle having another pregnancy. So uh, catheter stayed in and at about three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon, um, they prepped me for the tubal ligation, which I was supposed to have through a spinal block. So I was supposed to be completely alert, 100% awake, aware, 
um, and cognizant and in the room, I was not given general anesthesia. Um, so when I was prepped, the anesthesiologist came in and they chose to use uh, the catheter again to put in um, a spine, the spinal block. And what ended up happening is I had too much of the anesthesia, an instant reaction. And one of the most complicated, they have you sign a waiver that says that the absolute most complex uh, thing that could happen is your heart failure, failure of, of breathing and, and complication of death. Um, and so I knew that going into this. So I was in the birthing room. Um, my mother had my daughter in arm in hand and I saw her, you know, peacefully. And uh, I remember just thinking, okay, my mom has her. And what happened is that you know, I was given the dose of the anesthesia into the cerebral spinal fluid this time. Um, and the last thing I remember was just everything going black. I remember going very faint and the anesthesiologist saying, you know, Ms. Martinez, are you okay? And that was the last thing I remember is being wheeled out of the room and going to the operating room. Well, as I get to the operating room, there's absolute chaos and panic. Um, I am no longer in my body. Um, what happened is that the fluid was given to me too much. My heart instantly stopped and my lungs stopped. So uh, I, I was, my heart was not beating, nor was I breathing. So they had to resuscitate me and intubate me. So there was a ton of chaos. And, uh, and through this chaos, I just, I was watching this happen as if I was floating above it with absolutely no connection to it or to it whatsoever. Um, I wasn't concerned. Uh, it didn't concern me at all in the slightest. It was this feeling of like, oh, well, that's odd. And I could see everybody running around and I could see them doing the intubation, tilting the head back and all this chaos. And suddenly it wasn't as, it wasn't a tunnel for me, but what I, what it felt as if I was floating above myself, watching myself from below and seeing them trying to resuscitate me and intubate me. Um, and the anesthesiologist trying to, you know, just hold face and figure out what had happened. I really do not know how long I was out. The medical field does a great disservice because they did not communicate with me after my experience. So I cannot even say that uh, this is on record. I can't say that, of course, you can see it because they'll, you know, they'll have the medical records of it. But, you know, there was no discussion of it. Um, there was no, you know, that we had a complication. This is what happened. So I was left really wondering. Um, and, and so in this experience, as I'm hovering above my body, uh, everything begins to just go white. Um, it wasn't a tunnel. It just seemed like to start in the center of it and just completely just overcome everything. And it felt as though my perception was a, a sensation of floating up and out. So it felt as if when I was watching, it felt as if I had turned somehow and began to lift and go into this light that started to consume the entire room and space. So it wasn't a traveling per se uh, for me. And what I found myself was um, first and foremost was the sensation of absolute freedom. Um, I, I wasn't confused, but it felt very oh, extraordinarily peaceful, like the most wonderful feeling. If you can ever imagine the most nurturing, loving feeling you've ever experienced in your life and amplify that infinitely. And it was, it was as though this white it was light, but it didn't hurt my eyes. It was as though I was, you know, in the full face of a sun, but it did not bother my eyes. I could not see any other scenery at that moment other than just this extraordinarily extraordinary light. Um, and the sound, the light had sound, you know, it, it, and, and, and the sound had light and it had movement and motion and color. It was alive. It is a, an indescribable feeling that is overwhelming. Pardon me, I didn't expect to get emotional with that. It was absolute respite. I was going through one of the most difficult times of my life. And to be quite honest, I wasn't sure if I was going to be 
brave enough, courageous enough to face what I was going to endure and face, you know, what was happening in my life at that time. Um, I had been denying a lot of experiences that I had earlier in childhood, and this was just fully amplified. So from that experience, I had freedom from that pain, if you will. There was no physical sensation. It just it was just awareness. And this light in front of me began to commune. I and it, it was again this living light. Um, and the feeling of like, I'm not supposed to be there. And this telepathic communication, because of course I don't have vocal cords, this being doesn't have vocal cords, but there's this instantaneous knowing and communion that is happening. But it was more of a receiving and a respite and a welcome and more of like, okay, you can have a rest. Part of the thing that some NDEers don't talk about is that there is no concept of time. Time is a construct of our existence in this three-dimensional existence on Earth. Time and space does not exist in that, whether I want to call it a dimension or that, it, but it, it is right here within us. So we think we're three-dimensional beings thinking two-dimensionally, thinking it's linear from beginning to end, but it doesn't. We are all contained within. And if you study sacred geometry, you know, the, the flower, the sacred flower of life and how everything is truly contained within and we are just part of it. And that was the feeling that I received, um, you know, in that light. So with this being communicating with me was more welcoming me in the moment and then everything completely changed uh, from there. Um, then I began to feel not a sense of confusion, but a full awareness of, oh, wow. Okay, and now I understand what's happening. Now I understand where I am. You know, I'm not in my body, but I don't care. I just had a child, but I don't care. It is, I am home. I have always and forever for the longest memory that I could have as a child of always wanting to go home. I was home. And that was overwhelming for me. Now, my name, my full name is Maria Guadalupe. I am named after our Lady of Guadalupe, which is the Blessed Virgin, our Lady of Guadalupe, who appeared to Juan Diego in Mexico. Um, I have experiences with my family actually going to the Basilica and uh, the reason that I am named after her, uh, which is another uh, experience that I'll explain later, but that is the, my birth name. And this light transformed into a full appearance of her. So most people would see Jesus, most people, you know, the Christ consciousness, which of course that is absolute and was present. But for me, it was the divine mother and, 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 and her through this light, I could see just a very faint image of her, not of, not as you would see a full person. It was like she was expanded and light would flow right through her, but I can see the silhouette in the eyes of her and how she has always appeared to me. Um, and I, I, I was overwhelmed and just so thankful that the, the light that was white began to turn into like this golden, um, this gold essence is the best way that I can describe it. Extraordinarily healing the thing that we don't talk about is that time does not exist there. And so all of that I'm about to explain is that I, it felt like I was an entire lifetime there during my NDE just to prepare me for the return. And so after her um, apparition to me, her uh, showing herself to me, you know, I had a multitude of questions. And so from there, that's when we began, um, you know, a different, we, I was taken um, to another location. Um, I can't really fully describe it because it's, it's not a facility like, um, like you would call a building that it's not hard structures with corners. Everything is loosened and transparent. I could choose to focus at a distance and see groups of, of lights which I knew to be souls, to be 
consciousness of hum- of beings. Um, that is what we are. I, and that's what I was being told at the time, that this is where we go. This is what we do. This is where we're from. This and and taken to a room, again, I, I, it's, I say that very loosely because it's indescribable. Um, and being taken to what I would call... Um, not my soul group because my soul group felt like they were at a distance, you know, that I would be able to see and focus, but this was more complex in the sense of um, being taken to my council. Um, every single soul has this. We have a divine wise council on the other side. And that number of council varies. I know that I have 12 and one was just recently added. So now I have 13. And at this time, there was specifically four that I was working with. And um, I, I love um, our new modern movies because they're really close depictions, you know, that there's a lot of truth in what's conveyed in there. So I was able able to see in a book, if you will, that moved like in a Harry Potter movie, you know, like um, a a still image that would move. And I was reviewing um, parts of my life that was happening at that moment and why I did not want to live. I I, I will be very honest that I, I took the opportunity and I was glad. So I was being shown my life, shown things that had happened. And I was told that, wow, I chose it. That was, I think, the hardest part for me is to think that there were victims, like we're victims of life, that, that all these horrible things happened to us. And it was explained to me that we make soul agreements, that this is just an illusion, that what we learn there as, as a soul is so grand and complex. We know tolerance, we know compassion, we know love, we know forgiveness. So as souls, we come into this three-dimensional realm of illusion, which is very material and real. It is very much real. Um, but the reason why we call it an illusion is because there is a continuation after that existence we choose to come in and incarnate as a soul have a life experience with a multitude of things that we ourselves chose to experience nobody else life didn't do it to us god didn't do it to us nobody's done it to us we're not being punished for anything we ourselves chose everything and that was hard for me because i had experienced a lot of traumatic things And I couldn't understand why would I choose that? Why would children choose pain? Why would they choose these things? But as a soul, we are grand, all-knowing, wise. And as a child, that wise, grand soul still exists within that child. We, they, and in fact, they are our closest to it. You know, so that was being explained to me. So I was being shown these different parts and aspects of my life and the things that I was going through at the moment that my daughter was born. I did not want to face what I was going to be facing. I didn't think that I would have the courage or the strength to be able to endure it. And I was shown outcomes, potentialities possibilities based on my free will and choice. So the other greatest thing that was explained is that the, the greatest, the greatest mm, gift, if you will, I don't even want to call it a concept, but there are other realms, other dimensions, other places where free will is not, is, is not something that is given. It is not an automatic, um, you know, right of existence. It is very unique to our realm and the earth plane and in that area. So free will and choice has everything to do with it. So I was shown potentialities of if I make this choice, what would happen? If I make this other choice, what would happen? What are the effects of it? How does how do how does that impact my soul agreements with the family that I the soul family I've incarnated with? How would those outcomes be? And I was basically told that there would be a period in my life where it would feel like absolute utter abandonment, but not but to try to remember. No, that was the hardest part because I could remember, but I couldn't feel the support. I couldn't feel the connection when I came back. So everything that they were showing me was like, it's going to be okay. You know, with the wise counsel, this is what you can, this is how you can address it. And this is how you can handle your life. And then hopefully we remember because 
you know, as you know, and as other um, professionals and people have explained, is that not everybody remembers their full experiences of their NDE. So I was really practicing retaining the information, if you will. Um, and my experience has not deteriorated. It is only amplified and become even more um I can't even, I don't even have a word for it that as, and I could be skipping ahead, but it's, it's pertinent in the moment to say that when I did come back, I've been able to remember these in layers. So while I was working with that divine wise council, they were helping me to instill methods of remembrance of practices that I could do to understand and work with it. Because what I was shown is that, I had a soul agreement to work with souls to help them transition on this earth place in this lifetime. This is something that is of my soul's purpose. I've done this multiple times and, and this is something that I have never stated out loud, um, but being shown that I am um, an interdimensional star being chosen to be incarnate in this body, second generation. Um, my mother being one, she was very aware and cognizant of her connection um, and her incarnation as a star being. And only after my near-death experience was she and I able to discuss it. And I'm very thankful that she and I had that experience. Um, and so I was being shown that as well. Now, that is a lot to take in. So we uh, we worked it with my counsel, if you will, to where I would receive this information in layers that as I acclimated and, tran and, and transformed and transitioned my life to infuse and incorporate all of this, that it would be given to me in layers of my understanding. Now, one thing is that um, I'm, I'm very skeptical. <laughs> I'm doing this work and I'm so skeptical, but I think it's important for me because I, I need to, it's important for all of us to have a discerning ear. We need to be extraordinarily discerning of the information and ascertain how it fits with us. Is it information that we are ready to receive at the time? You know, information that I heard back then, I was not ready for. Um, so it had to be given in layers so that I could have the incorporation. As new information was given, I'd incorporate it, make the transition. Another layer was given. And that took, now it's been 21 years, um, almost 21 years, uh, 20 and a half to be exact. Um, so that was probably one of the most important things with the, the council uh, was showing me this. Now, after that, um, and again, time does not exist, that I was taken from there and, and I was able to, to see the Divine Mother once more. I had a, an incredible mm, communion with her, with, um, uh, gosh, it's really difficult to explain, but with understanding of, of the interworkings of the universe. Um, we tend to humanize God um, because we don't have any other concept, but God and what I know is the I am, the great unity, that there's only oneness. And what I was shown uh, was, if you would call it like the Big Bang, but not not necessarily like that. Again, we think in two two dimensional you know, linear ways. When we think of an explosion, you know, we think of it going just outward in one direction. But what I was shown is that every single one of us, every soul that is incarnate, every soul on the other side, every everything that is in existence all emanated from this original source. And it was like a microscopic pinpoint. So I was, I was taken, if you will, and it wasn't a room. It, it was as if I was taken and being shown the history of the omniverse up until that point. Um, and I was able to experience it as if I was watching it, a sacred observer watching all of this history of how we all exploded from one central point, how each one of us originate from that, how we are actually one, how we are not separate, how everything is in unity and how this energy that exists throughout the universe holds and, and contains it. Um, you know, I love to study quantum physics and quantum mechanics and what they would call dark energy, not dark as in evil 
um, negative, but, um, you know, very, um, it's, it's unseen. It's the unseen and it takes up 97% of our, of our existence. So I'm being shown all of these very, very in-depth, intricate secrets of the universe, how we existed, how we are all one, how we all emanate from the original source. Well, how do I apply any of that? So from there, being able to see like from the cosmos, it felt as if being a star, um, you know, just floating out in space and being able to see all of the history of it. Uh, occurring right before my eyes in real time. Um, and, and it was, to say it was extraordinary or overwhelming is, uh, there's no word for it. And to understand that every single one of us is so important that the very absence of us would send ripples through time and space. There could not be an absence of us, even if we tried. And some of us try, but that's not possible. So those are the things that was explained to me. Now, from this grand vision of the universe, it then transitioned into something of, was this beautiful, serene um, scape. It was these hilltops flowing, you know, um, everything had light and sound, translucent, transparent. And it was symbolic to me because it was shown, it was like a a field of souls, if you will, and shown that if you can imagine, we can't even wrap our mind around it. If you can imagine a unique color for every individual soul, you know, so if you can imagine an infinite sea of reds, an infinite sea of blues, so all intermixed and intermingled, but every single one with its own unique color and was told that every single one of them represented a soul and that I was to impact them somehow. Um, and, and and how the impact that we have sends these ripples. And then suddenly there was like this breeze that carried through this grassy field of all these flowers and how all of them just gently swayed um it was what the most beautiful thing i'd ever seen and it felt as though it wasn't like the scape was again not a planet but this field but then the universe was so close i could see galaxies that were you know as even larger than the moon you know and all of these different things it's extraordinary um, I was actually blown away recently with Disney's new movie, Soul, because that field, they must have had a lot of uh, insight and input because I saw it and was really taken aback by it because it, there's a lot of truth to that in the things that they depict in that. So it's time. I really resisted explaining a lot of these things before because, you know, I didn't want to be made to be insane. Um, you know, there were other pieces of, of that near-death experience and other things, but oh my gosh, like hearing myself right now talking about these things is that, again, that I'm sharing a lot more than I ever have. Um, and very, very few people that are closest to me have heard me say some of these things. So Jeff, I want to thank you because you're doing your purpose. You're allowing people such as myself this opportunity because it really is time. The planet is needing it at this time. There's a huge thing that's occurring across the planet. And that's what I was told is that I chose to incarnate in this time and place to make the difference. So after that field of flowers and, you know, being told not to forget that I would have help and guidance and assistance, I was given, you know, taken back to the room, if you will. It felt more circular, not even circular. It's hard to explain Everything interfits like bubbles, but they're like hexagonal because everything fits interdimensionally. It just in, but it's like no walls, really complex. So taken back to that place with, um, with now a, a different group of 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 counsel of guides of mine, and being given the choice is that you know I could stay there with them. Um, and, but it was an agreement that I made that I could have the respite. I could have a reset button. You know, we all want the, the, the reset button. And, and oftentimes that does happen, but the lessons do not disappear. They still continue. So in other words, I would have had to have come back 
incarnate into another human experience, undergo and re-experience pretty much everything that I had already experienced, add another layer of complexity of the things that I was intended to experience in this lifetime and chose to walk away from. So we up the ante. It's, it's in a sense of like, you can go back and complete what you've already started because you've got a good start. Or you can let all of that go and try it again, but go through it all over again. And I could not even contemplate or fathom the idea of undergoing some of those extraordinary traumatic experiences that I, I underwent. So I, I made a choice to come back. Um, and there was other guidance that was given um, and being told that I would, you know, if, if, if chosen, because everything is free will and choice, um, that I would have the help. And it's just for me not to rem- not to forget that I was alone, because that's that's the number one thing when we're here is that we just feel so alone and separate. So there, everything is connected. Everything is interconnected, intraconnected. We are all one divine. So that was, you know, really hard to come back into in a physical body without feeling that connection. So from that place, the next thing that I saw, if you will, is that it, like that's tended to fade. It's not like we walked any place because of course we don't have legs. So it was almost instantaneously where we would, the, the surroundings would transform around me is more what it felt like. Although I felt I was in motion, it felt like my surroundings were also in motion. So intention and thought would meet with intention and thought and and join. So you by lo- like to locate, I guess. And so from that final place was um, my final thing of 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 the blessed mother, Our Lady of Guadalupe, La Virgen. Um, and she looks to me like La Virgen, just the way I would see her. I originally saw her in Mexico at the Basilica, um, in La Tilma, um, and that was really important to me. And what I saw was my mom's energy with her, which was really interesting because my mom was alive at the time. My mom was holding my daughter and I saw the blessed mother and, and she was holding my daughter, Bianca. Bianca was just born. She was, you know, by this time, maybe even five hours old. And I, I, I saw her holding her. And with that awareness, I, I, it was from the divine mother to my mother to me, to my daughter, this divine feminine energy that we're bringing into this experience and into this earth plane at this time. And so with that awareness of my daughter and thinking, oh my God, not on the day my daughter's born. It was just that thought alone. It didn't even fade. It didn't even feel like it it had the gentleness of fading. It just had this moment and this kind of panic sensation of, oh, my God, my daughter. And it was just like, I think I jumped <laughs> before before I was actually ready because it felt like I jumped 10 stories and that I had crash landed onto the cement, but into my physical body. And I was back and I felt everything, everything so by that time they had stabilized me. I was intubated. Um, I I could not move a muscle in my entire being. I was very aware of the room. I could hear, and I, the last thing I remember is this cradling, loving, nurturing energy at the head of my of the I want to call it the bed, but it's the the surgical bed, and just holding and whispering into my ear that you know I was going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And with that, I just remember just one single tear, just being able to come and string down my eye. And I felt like I was choking. So if you're intubated and become aware and alert and conscious during an intubation, you literally have an entire uh, apparatus into your throat. So they were breathing for me. Um, so I, at this point, I, I think that I was midway in the, um, actually not even midway, um, I feel like they were just stabilizing me prior to the completion of the surgery, the tubal ligation, and it was done um, laparoscopically. Um, and so 
as I, as soon as I heard like, okay, we've got her and somebody whispering to me that I was going to be okay. Um, and to wait, it felt like an eternity. So it felt like I was being buried alive. I couldn't move. All I could do was one stream, one little tear and I was back and my body was convulsing. I believe at that point that, um, they may have given me, um, you know, something to just stabilize and then they proceeded with the surgery. So I did have the tubal ligation. Um, and I had a very, um, like a horrible time trying to come out of the anesthesia. Um, some, uh, you know, procedure, procedure that should have only lasted, you know, I, and I can't even say the amount of time I, I won't even, you know, begin to, uh, you know, specify or anticipate what that would have been. But I know that it was about an hour longer than my mom expected. And when my mom was brought into the recovery room, I think that they brought her in to help me because I was having a very hard time acclimating and, and becoming fully conscious. Um, by that time, my body was fully convulsing and I, I, I just, it felt like a short circuit of my, my energy system, my electrical system. And my mom took one look at me and just said, Mija, what happened? And I, I just busted out crying. I couldn't even explain it to her. And she just knew. So the recovery was really difficult. Um, you know, I stayed in the recovery for some time. And then I was finally taken back to the birthing room. I was lucky where the birthing room and the room that we stayed in was one in the same. We weren't transferred. Um, and then my, I, I, I know that my daughter felt it. So like I, it, she was crying and screaming when I came into the room and when I finally held her, she was finally at peace. And uh, there she and I camped for three days. So every single time I would try to just, you know, put her down into a little clear plastic bassinet next to me, she would scream and wail. And so I would pick her right back up and I had a pillow, you know, just an encasing of pillows all around me just so that she and I could, you know, have that connection. So, yeah, I could not talk about this experience for a very long time after that. I think the first person was my mom. Mm. Um also my ex-husband, Anthony, and just really trying to understand what had even happened. Um, up until that point, I wasn't really familiar with near-death experiences or past lives or anything such as that, fascinated by it. I have a very open mind, um, but had absolutely no ground or basis for this experience. And so the next, you know, years was really about me trying to figure that out. Um, and so I, as I mentioned before that I'm a skeptic and I do this and I work in this field. And for me, the way that this has always, I, I set this up for, as my, for myself. I know this is a feature of my soul, if you will, that I'll have the experience first and then the validation will come after. And what that means to me is that I'll have this, you know, extraordinary experience that is totally unbeknownst to me up until that moment. And then after having it, then will I go and begin to read or research or, um, you know, find other individuals who may have had similar experiences to just learn about it. So for me, it's always the experience first and then the seeking for the understanding and then the validation after. Um, and so that that was my first um, primary, well, the, the prominent near-death experience um, that happened in June 5th, so almost 20 years ago, 21 mm. years ago almost. Mm. Well, thank you very much for sharing that with me. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm just going to go back and ask you some questions of things I was curious along the way. Okay. Hopefully I can remember them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, first thing was what I'm curious of is right in the beginning when you went black, and then you were out of your body. So can you kind of, it's just kind of you went black and then was it black for a while and then all of a sudden you were out? Or can you sure. go into more depth of that initial experience there? What I feel that was, was the loss of consciousness. So because of the, the bypassing of the spinal fluid in the spinal block, and either it was either given too fast or just the dosage was too high. Um, you know, I stopped breathing and my heart stopped. 
So during that time, uh, I, you know, the blood flow is shunted from the brain. And um, so I'm assuming that that is the physical reaction of the losing of consciousness, almost as if somebody faints. Mm -hmm. That's what it felt like to me is just losing consciousness where I'm just as if I fainted, everything goes black and I'm out. So it wasn't a location per se at that moment. It was just the loss of consciousness where there was no more um, vision and just everything dark. Do you have any idea of how much time passed from losing consciousness to being out of your body? Or do you think it just went black and then immediately you were out? It went black and then I, my next awareness uh, was being in the deli- the um sorry the operating room not the mm-hmm. delivery room, operating room because I was just wheeled from my delivery room mm-hmm. so um then that was my next awareness was actually so there was a gap um so I'm assuming that that would be maybe five minutes if not more if they're wheeling me down the hall to the operating room and then there's chaos with them trying to find the crash cart. Um, you know, for the intubation and for the also the resuscitation. Um, so the time that it would take to wheel me just out of the room, because I lost that blackness went just as they were wheeling me out of the room. I had just barely made it out of the delivery room, just as they were wheeling me down the hall. Then everything, I don't remember. Then my next awareness was in that operating room with chaos. Mm. So however long it took them to get there and to, you know, get everybody in place. So, um, I would imagine anywhere from five minutes, five to eight minutes or, or so. Okay, interesting. So you have a Catholic background. Do you feel that this was a Catholic and religious experience or really yes more of a all. spiritual? More of a spiritual. So I was born and raised Catholic. I have a very rich history in Santa Fe where um, we have the largest adobe structure in the United States, which is the a church there. My great-grandfather donated that property, but my family was very spiritual. So although we were born and raised Catholic, I was always questioning, always questioning. My grandmother on my father's side, uh, who was who baptized me, um, they, you know, she was also very open-minded. So I had uh, experiences with uh, both of them were in my grandma Hinoveva on my mother's side. So we had in our family, if you can imagine, you know, being in a traditional culture um, with natural healing that we've done for generations. In my culture, the Hispanic culture would be then curanderismo. So curandera or healer, shaman, in other words. Um, and so I had that within both of my lineages. Um, and so I remember my grandmother making, you know, what's called trementina ointments and doing what's called limpias, which are energy clearings and different things like that. And then my grandmother on my father's side um, was very, um, oh, she loved to read, very cerebral, very intelligent and very spiritual. Now, I was born in the 70s, fresh out of the 60s. And my father was um, was really seeking. We have a seek community in New Mexico. This image that's behind me actually is a mural that's painted at the what's called the Hacienda Guru Ramdas in um in in Sombrío, New Mexico, which is just around Tezuque. Uh people might have heard of uh, Chimayo, which has the Santuario de Chimayo healing area. So I have this all within my family, but yet my father and my mother were both very open um, my father followed, um, was was introduced to uh, this muralist. His name is Ed O'Brien, was originally from Chicago, introduced him to, um, it's called the I Am. Um, it's actually um, from Joel Goldsmith. So it's a huge um, background and a huge uh, following, if you will, of consciousness, of understanding unity and oneness. So my grandmother, my Mary, my father, my mother went to Chicago, was able to, see, you know, have these lectures. You know, I was introduced to Sikh communities. My mother was born and raised um, in Santa Fe, but also has connections to San Francisco. So is also cultured um, and very open to other cultures. So I was brought up, um, you know, Catholic with this background, but also very, very spiritual and very, very open minded. Um, so we do have um, this connection, I guess, does 
um, influence my experience because of, you know, the background that I have. And that's one thing that I've been told and what's been explained is that, you know, each of us NDEers, we do have an influence on our experience based on our soul, our soul's experience, but also the because we choose it in this lifetime. So for even people who are atheists to have this experience, well, they chose it prior to their existence, prior to their incarnation, you know, still still chosen. So we all choose how we perceive that information um, in the best way that our mind can digest and hold that information. You know, so um, it's, I know that that's a very complex way to, to answer your question. I hope that I did yeah. and probably opened up a lot more. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's fine. Can you give me an abbreviated answer of who the Blessed Mother is and and her story? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for asking. So she's the Blessed Mother. She's the Divine Mother, the, the Adi Shakti, also in other uh, languages and other cultures, if you will. It's the Divine Mother, the Mother, the Supreme. So in that place of my near-death experience, being shown the interworkings of the universe where we have God, the I am, and God is the goddess supreme, that because we have duality, both of those have to exist. One holds the plane of reality where the other brings everything into creation, into being, and that is the mother supreme. She comes into form and energy as the divine feminine. It's just energy. It's a different quality. It has nothing to do with gender. Um, so that's divine creation. And that is the embodiment of what she is. And so she has had multiple apparitions around the world in multiple cultures. And it is not limited to just the Hispanic. Now, La Virgen here in this particular um poster of this mural she um appeared to juan diego in mexico in 1512 and it was on the day of um there was a huge huge turmoil that was happening with the people there in the conversion the people that um um amerindians were taken over um for through spaniards and so they were desperate and and just really diminished peoples and she appeared to bring the message of hope and unity and oneness and the divine mother. And so, yes, I don't know how abbreviated that was, but oh, no, I think it's good. And I think where I got confused is, and maybe other people may be the same way listening is when you hear the divine mother and then you hear the virgin, my mind, my mind immediately goes to this is the Virgin Mary. Correct. But this is not the Virgin Mary. This is kind of like the mother of creation. It so, is different actually. from the Virgin Mary, correct? One in the same. So oh, it's if you the same. It, one in the yes. same. Okay. So she she and this is the most amazing thing is that she is that embodiment. So just like Jesus would be the embodiment of the Christ consciousness, mm -hmm. Mother Mary, La Virgen, those are all variations of her one existence. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain that, but she she appears in multitude of ways, mm -hmm. but is all one. So it is the Divine Mother. She is the one. She she is she's yes, it is the same. But um people would not know her at that level, if you will. And I don't even know if I want to call it a level, but to know that that grand unity and the divinity and all that she embodies is far more in-depth and extraordinary of how she just appears in, in the simplest of terms, just again, um, you know, Buddha, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. They, they are part of in a grand consciousness. Mm -hmm. So, her name was Guadalupe, though, right? Guadalupe. Correct. Okay. And I could see other religions around the planet having a kind of a same story for a divine female energy mm -hmm. of creation and having another name for her. Well, Guadalupe is actually, I believe, and I could have this mistaken, but I believe it's an Arabic word where she was actually appeared. This is the interesting thing. She appeared because it was a message to the priest at the Basilica in Mexico to overturn because these peoples were being suppressed. So there were, you know, if you can imagine all these Amerindians, yeah, there were millions of them at that time that were being overtaken by another culture and they were absolutely desperate without hope. And so she appeared to give a message to the 
the priest to say, you know, basically let the people be without the oppression. Um, and, and there was this big, massive attempt for conversion of their um, Amerindian ways into Catholicism. So there was a lot of battling and all of this horrific, horrendous history that is history that occurred. And so the the the, the Amerindians, they needed hope. The Mayans, the, the, the Mexicans, the you know, the, all of these people needed that. And so she appeared to bring that hope and that message. And so there was a lot of complexity in the image that she imprinted so that they would know that she is the divine mother, that, you know, that she was there for them because of, and she's also known as La Morenita. And in, in uh, Spanish, that means like dark complected um and so there's a history of 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 how she came to be in mexico just so that we could bring peace to the people um the tilma which is a robe that uh, he's now canonized uh saint juan diego wore she the story is that she appeared in the field told him to go pick flowers that did not grow from the area, Castilian flowers. He went and picked them, put them in his tigma, and she brought them. She, you know, touched them and held them in this field where she appeared to them and said, okay, now take them to the priest. And when he let the tigma go, instantaneously imprinted on the tigma was her was her. And there have been so many studies done of that one piece of material that they cannot identify how it is even in existence. It is a very, very rough, coarse material made of very poor culture. It was made of agave, uh, cact, you know, leaves that where they were ground. And so that's coarse and rough. And they used it to lay down on, to take, to carry things. And so it was a simple cloth the studies have shown that they cannot ascertain the the um, origination of the pigments that were used in the cloth. It, it shows no plant life or no animal life. There's nothing that it, it's, it, and even the structure of the cloth itself, where the fibers are thicker, actually ha- uh, portray very specific parts of her of her image. The lips uh, is, is actually made by the, the, the texture of the cloth itself. Mm-hmm. Um, they've tried to burn it. They've even tried to bomb it. They threw acid at it and it has not destructed. It is incredible. Mm-hmm. So I got to see that when I was three years old and my first near death, well, no, my, sorry, my second near death experience was when I was there. It wasn't a full on near death experience. I was three years old. And at, at the place that we were staying had, um, my father was on, um, he was studying at university. We were there because bilingual education and he was doing an internship. And so we were at a swimming pool. I remember going under, I remember just probably sucking in the water probably was there under, there was a lot of people, a lot of kids. And then I just remembered that same golden light and then coming back. But there was no experience, no exchange of information. It was a not supposed to be here and then right back mm-hmm. at three. And then we went on to the Basilica and got to see this. And I was named after her. So it has a deep, deep rooted history in that. And, and she still continues to be for me today. Would you say today that you're more spiritual or, and or are you still practicing Catholicism? Well, that's so interesting is that I started off, uh, you know, with deep in Catholicism, but it didn't because of that, my upbringing and, and, and after this experience, it did not offer me the answers that I needed. Um, so I had a lot of difficulty with it. Um, there was a lot of things that are, that are taught that are, are, um, not what I fully believe in. And I actually taught second grade catechism for four years up until my son was like, mom, do you really believe in that? And I'm like, I don't. So in all honesty, because, you know, I love teaching young children. I was teaching second graders for four years. And then, you know, I can say, where's God? And they can say everywhere, you know, in the trees and there. And, you know, by the time you get to sixth grade, the, the dogma is becoming more solidified. So um, when my son hit that age and he said, do you really believe in this? And that's another story because my son was born needing to be resuscitated at a, a near death. So he was born through a near death experience one of which I also had on the table with him. That was another one where it was, nope, you know, the flash out there, okay, come back because he needed my attention. Um, And so that was not a full on um, near death experience. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. 
There's so much to say, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I have so many questions. Um, (laughs) I found it amazing the way you explained in your story, and maybe you can kind of expand on this or if this is true for you, but I found it amazing how you come to the realization that you chose all this stuff in your life. And I guess you were like, my gosh, I chose this. And then was the your second question, why did I choose this? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, what, I, what I've now come to understand is that, um, again, I've already stated, you know, being a second generation star being, I'm, I, I'm not, there's a realm of souls that are human and a realm, if you will, if you can imagine a cataclysm that happened on the earth, a calling out to the multiverse, the omniverse, and all of these souls from all of these different interdimensions saying, I'll go. It, again, with free will, we can't impose change on the outside. It has to come from the inside. So free will and choice um, in order. Now look at our, look at society, look at the state that we're in, look at these near cataclysms that we've had, look at the pollution, look at all of these things that have happened, right? So if that's not changing, because those are the choices that we're making, we're choosing to pollute. There are souls that have hailed in to make this change from within by small, small incremental things. Most people aren't even aware um, how many I couldn't even tell you. Um, But I am not, you know, another species. I am fully human. But my soul, my consciousness, it hails from another realm, another dimension, another existence. I have had, um, I, you know, experiences of living on another planet. I've had a memory of that. I've had a memory of also, you know, being here in a different alien body way back in the day. So all of these complexities and understanding that we choose it all, that my one little tiny existence as just Maria, you know, is far grander and greater that we can possibly even begin to imagine or fathom. And so that was not revealed to me um, I did not have full retention of that information because that would have just flipped my lid too much. <laughs> that actually, I, even though I knew it and I felt it and I was able to experience it, the, the depth of it was revealed in layers over the years as my understanding grew and as my courage of talking, you know, first to my mom and to others and really understanding what it was, um, So, yeah, it was. And so understanding that we do choose it all. That's a really, really hard thing to understand as a human. And it's a really difficult thing to say. That's another reason why, you know, I wouldn't have said that before, because an NDE can understand that this is temporary. It's temporal. I'm ready to go. If this happens tomorrow, I'm ready. I'm excited. I hope it doesn't because I'm glad that I'm here finally. I have a lot to do, a lot to accomplish, people to reach. But, you know, if I if it happens, I'm ready to go. For others who haven't had the benefit of the near-death experience, understanding, oh, my gosh, what is awaiting us after we pass, there would be no doubt. So for somebody who's never had that experience to hear, well, you, you've chosen it all. That hard thing you're going through right now, just get over it. Because guess what? You're going to be gone in a moment. They're going to say, well, pardon me, but beep, beep you, you know, who are you to tell me? So that's a really, really difficult thing to have awareness of now when majority of people don't. And, and, and part of my purpose is to help them understand that. So after this experience, um, things that I had been suppressing, you know, growing up um, completely were flipped on. Every single psychic, um, you know, extra sensory thing that you could think of, you know, happened and me trying to cope with it and how, how to deal with it. Mine has not dissipated. I am a medium. I can sense and feel people who have passed. I can sense and feel beings. I introduce guides to other clients. Um, you know, I, I have, um, I do energy work, I do healing work, I'm a hypnotherapist, I do past life regressions, I've done and seen extraordinary things all to help people. But it didn't start that way. I started if, 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 if somebody told me that this is what I would become, you know, 20 years ago, I would have said, you're crazy. I just wanted to be sane myself. 
all of this was just for me to help myself understand me, understand what I went through. How do I cope with life knowing what I know, what I felt, you know, this level of what I'm remembering at this level? How do I deal with it? And so it has, you know, revealed itself in layers. And um, yeah, so again, those are things that I would not necessarily talk about. And this is the first time publicly. How would you advise someone who has recently had an NDE that has not shared it with very many people and is having difficulty coping with their experience and their life? What advice would you give to them? I love that you asked this question because somebody very near and dear to me has had one, but is having difficulty. Um, so the the best thing is 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 take the time that you need to really reflect. You know, there's so much um, that is that is you know depending on the person. Not everybody has everybody's is different. Every soul is unique. Everybody's existence is unique. So everybody's experience is going to be unique. And so mine is going to look very different to others. And that's intentional because again, we're a unique existence. So for those that are new to this, really struggling is, you know, give yourself the time. You're not alone and you're not crazy. The other reason I didn't talk about this is because on my mother's side, um, you know, we do have um, diagnoses and in, in history of mental illness in the family. I have an uncle, uh, her brother, my dear uncle, is uh, diagnosed schizophrenic. If I was to talk about these things after my near-death experience, you know, 20 years ago, I very well could have been diagnosed very much the same. And my experience would have been entirely different. So I would say also be careful who you choose to talk to. There are those who have you know, who've earned the right to hear our stories. Uh, I, I've heard that originally from Dr. Brene Brown. They've earned, have they earned the right to hear your story? Are they going to diminish it? And the interesting thing for me is that I was really struggling. I was really struggling, especially three years after this. I went to see four doctors. They wanted to prescribe me antidepressants. Um, you know, then I, and I thought, okay, well, maybe, they, maybe they're right. So I went to somebody very close to me that I confided in that was not prepared to hear what I had to say and really rejected, you know, and, and it really created a huge rift, you know, for about eight, a good solid eight years. And that was probably the most difficult thing. Now, in my near-death experience, I was told that there would be a period in my time where I would feel absolutely alone and rejected, but to remember. And so through that, that was probably the hardest thing to hold on to is that I wasn't alone, that it's going to be okay. That, you know, because I grew up in a religious family, there are, um, you know, certain people that do not, that feel that this is, oh, certain things you shouldn't mess with, you know, that you're dabbling or something, that this is an evil thing or a dark thing or a scary thing. And to somebody who does not know, I can, I can completely understand how it can be perceived that way until there's understanding. So, you know, coming new to this, be careful who you tell, um, you know, if you do and, and you can get a sense of it uh, because, um, as you've probably heard, that most of us that come back, I feel like I straddle two realms. Honestly, Jeff, I really don't feel like I fully acclimated 100 percent. I feel like I'm still straddling um, again because I'm a, an intuitive, a medium, a psychic and I do all of these different things. I have um it's more like a soul reading. It's wide open for me still, but yet I'm, I'm able to tune into it almost as if it's like a radio station in the background, but I'm still, still fully here. Most people who have near death experiences fully acclimate back and have, you know, some intuition heightened and things, but mine was completely flipped on, turned on, never shut off. And that was so hard, so hard to deal with. And I had to really learn how to deal with it myself. Never did I think I would be helping others through it. It was too private, too scary, too personal, uh, too crazy uh, to even think that I would uh, share it at this level and much less help others through it. Maria Lapita, unfortunately, <laughs> I only have so much time due to, my, due to my editing. So that's why I always cut these at about an hour. And, and for everybody who listens, that's also why I stop at an hour because the editing gets hard on the computer. And when they go too long, it takes forever to edit. Mm -hmm. um, so 
One thing is, will you come back and join me again? Because I still have more questions about this near-death experience, and we can still hear about your other ones as well. Okay. I would love to. Like I said, this is a really great opportunity, and I just thank you for this. And I know that the time is right, and I am so thankful that you reached out. Mm-hmm. You really are making a difference, and I just you, you need to know that. Mm-hmm. So for all of us out there that want to share this and all of us out there that are wanting to hear it, Okay. Thank you. Well, thank you. And and I hope uh, more people who want to share will contact me. And as I try to usually say, without you and the guests, there is no podcast. Before I go, though, real quick, um, some people after hearing this may want to reach out to you. So do you, are you a public person on social media or your website or something? And if so, um, can you tell people how to contact you? Absolutely. I definitely am. Um, is I'm, I'm really stepping into this uh, within this last year because my father passed away last year, uh, exactly to be a year. So I'm all in it and I'm brand new opening up and really building it. So my website is my name. So just as you put it in the title, it's Maria Lupita Gurule. Dot com. I know that's hard to, to, to pronounce and much less spell, but if it's there, that's it's my name. Um, and I do have social media. I actually have so much to share that I'm uh, interested in putting a podcast, podcast together for myself. And I do uh, have a YouTube channel where I do some videos and actually interview people that I've had sessions with and, and things like that. So really excited because I'm building fresh and I really hope people join Well, that's great. And I wish you massive success with all of that. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate you. All right. And thank you so much, Maria Lupita. I really appreciate you coming on my show. And um, hopefully I'll see you back soon. All righty. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right. Have a good night. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.